Amen. Thank you. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. And as we do that, we'll go ahead and dismiss the children. And so all of the children who are three years old through uh, seven years old, we have a special uh, children's service for them. And uh, they'll leave here through the back of the auditorium. And they're going to go over to our eighth building, which is the brick door, uh, brick building across the parking lot. And uh, if you need any help uh, finding that, we'd be happy to direct you to there and uh, show you where you can pick them up. Psalm chapter 90, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach uh, this morning while pastor is away. And uh, looking forward to him uh, coming back uh, here later this week. And uh, also excited about next Sunday, as pastor mentioned. Uh, it's Palm Sunday today, but we're looking forward to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, next Sunday. And we have uh, invitations in the lobby. If you've not already been inviting, or maybe you uh, have been inviting, I encourage you to grab some more of those and uh, get as many of them out as we can before Sunday. And uh, hopefully we'll have some guests here that uh, will be able to hear the gospel and the great news uh, that we rejoice in. And that is that Jesus is alive. He is risen. And uh, what a great truth. What a great, uh, a great Sunday. We're looking forward to that. Psalm chapter 90, uh, let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word. Just read a couple of verses and then uh, we'll let you be seated here. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 90, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. It says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And by, if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Thank you. You may be seated. For those who maybe don't know, uh, I, uh, one of the things that I do here on staff is I teach in our academy. And I teach some of the high school history classes. And, uh, and so I work with, with some of the, the high schoolers over there uh, teaching history. And I enjoy it. Uh, one of the things that I like about history uh, when, in studying it is uh, looking at timelines. I don't know if you're like this, but I tend to kind of compartmentalize uh, history. You know, I'll think about history maybe as it relates to uh, America or history maybe as it relates to Europe or some other geographical area. Or maybe I think about history uh, in events that surround a, maybe a particular war or an event that took place. And, uh, and if we're not careful, sometimes we can focus so much uh, on one area of history that we miss how it fits in as a whole. And so timelines are helpful in that it allows you to see all of the different events and how they correlate with one another and how uh, maybe they overlap and, and happening in different places at the same time. But I recently got a chart that's in my classroom, and it's a timeline of Bible history, but it's not just Bible history. Uh, it has uh, Bible history overlaid with world history events. And so you can see what things were happening in the world the same time we're reading uh, scriptures and events that are happening in the Bible. And I learned uh, some things that surprised me. One of the things I learned uh, was looking at some of the genealogies and realizing that uh, Shem, one of Noah's son, was, sons, was still alive when Abraham uh, was alive. And so he was the great times nine grandfather of Abraham. And so that means that uh, it's very possible that Abraham could have learned history and what the world was like pre-flood 
from a first-hand witness, somebody who lived during that time. And I just think that's neat to have been able to ask him, hey, what was it like before the flood? What, was, what, what were some of the things you saw? What were some of our relatives like? He could have uh, communicated that firsthand to him. Uh, it was interesting to see that Daniel, uh, the guy we read about in the Bible, that he lived the same century as the Chinese philosopher Confucius. I, th- I thought that would have been way different, way off, but that was the same time. Uh, the Greek poet Homer, who was famous for writing the Iliad and the Odyssey, he lived uh, the same time that King Solomon lived. And so just different things that I didn't, I knew about those things, but I didn't see how uh, they lined up with one another. You know, there are a lot of things that happened at the same time that are kind of unlikely. Uh, for instance, did you know that the first wagon train of the Oregon Trail headed out the same year the fax machine was invented? Would have never thought that. Uh, Do you know that there was no calculus class in Harvard's curriculum for the first few years because it hadn't been invented yet? That would have been time to live, not having to take class, uh, calculus classes. Did you know that just two empires, the Roman and the Ottoman Empire, span the entire gap from the birth of Jesus to Babe Ruth? Who'd have thought? Did you know that the last use of the guillotine in France was the same year that the first Star Wars movie came out? This was interesting. Oxford University was over 300 years old when the Aztec Empire was founded. Uh, Some incredible stats about history and timeline and how they line up. You know, time is something that we tend to reference often. You think about how many references to time you make throughout the day and and maybe how minutes you have left or you're yelling at the kids in the morning. we got five minutes, I'm leaving with or without you. Uh, You know, we reference time. That was my mom getting ready for church. Um, But, you know, we we reference time often. We try to keep time. We work to try to save time. We spend time on things that we love and things that we enjoy. Uh, I like what Albert Einstein had to say about time. He said, the only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen all at once. And uh, there's actually a lot more to it than that. Uh, But, you know, the Bible, it provides us many principles, many instructions concerning time and its purpose and our use of of it. And so this morning I just want to look at uh, three important elements of time. And if you're taking notes, you can write down, first of all, some principles of time. And this isn't an exhausting list, but script, Scripture does give us many principles as it relates to time and, is, and its essence and what it's all about. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. We'd be here for a long time. But just some principles I want to look at uh, from Scripture that will help us this morning as we examine these different elements as it relates to time. And I just wrote down uh, the first principle about time is that time is limited. Time is limited. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that our time is short. In this passage we just read in verse number 10, it says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. For all of you mathematicians, that's 70 years. He says, And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. He's saying, uh, man, if you lived a long life, you're looking at about 70 years. And if you get 80, you know, that's great, but uh, there's going to be some, some sorrow that comes. There's going to be some labor uh, that comes. You know, you find out as you get older, it gets harder to get around, doesn't it? I'm, I'm already uh, starting to feel some of the effects of that. I'm not even that old. Uh, I, was, I was doing some work out in the yard and shoveling, and I got up the next day, and I was like, man, I got muscles in my back I didn't even know I had. And, uh, and I'm starting to, starting to be able to sympathize with some of you people. Uh, but he says later in that, in that same passage, verse 12, so teach us to number our days. He's saying our days are numbered. Uh, there's a certain amount of number, uh, number days that God has appointed for your life. 
Uh, The Bible uses the metaphor of a shadow to illustrate the limited nature of our life. Listen to some of these verses. Job Job chapter 8, verse 9. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon earth are as a shadow. Psalm 144 and verse 4, man is like to vanity, his days are as a shadow that passeth away. You know, the point is that our time here on earth is brief. It's limited. It's short. I mean, even if we were to live a long time by earthly standards, it's just a blip of time when it comes to the timeline of eternity. Our life is short in light of eternity. Not only is it limited, but I wrote down this, that time is a gift. Time is a gift. Psalm 118, verse 24, Brother Childs, when he comes in in the morning for school, he says this often, he says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. What is he saying? He's saying that each day that you wake up with breath in your lungs, each day that you wake up uh, with life is a gift from God. It's evidence of God's faithfulness. It's evidence of God's compassion. It's evidence of God's mercies. And so what is our response? He says rejoice in it. Find hope in God. Each day is a gift. I like what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Today is a gift. Time is a gift. Time is limited. Here's another one I wrote down. Time must be spent. Time must be spent. You know, we're always looking for ways to save time. You know, there's so many books out there nowadays about time management, ways that you can uh, cut things down and you can manage your time in in certain ways so that you can save time. You scroll through your Facebook feed or your social media and you'll see all kinds of ads about apps that will automate things in your life and save you time. I mean, for, for goodness sake, we've got uh, vacuum cleaners that will just run around our house automatically to try to save us time. We've got machines to try to do things faster so they can save us time. We're trying to save time, but you know, the reality is time can't be saved. It can only be spent. All of our efforts to try to save time uh, really are going to be in vain because time, it can only be spent, and here you go, it can only be spent once. You can only redeem it one time. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, we'll come back to this later, but it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Someone wrote this, I thought it was uh, interesting. They said, Lost yesterday somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each with 60 diamond minutes. No reward offered, for they are gone forever. Once you, have, once you lose time, it's gone forever. It has to be spent, and it can only be redeemed once. Here's another principle, and that is that time is mysterious. Time is mysterious. You know, God in his sovereignty has appointed certain events to happen at certain times. I believe he's appointed the time when we're born. We know the Bible tells us that he's appointed a time for us to die. There are times that he's revealed to us through prophecy events that he's appointed to happen, but you know, when they occur is a mystery. We don't know. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, as it is appointed unto man, once to die, but after this, the judgment. Mark 13, verse 32 and 33, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Speaking of the rapture, Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1 through 2, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly 
that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. You know, it'd be nice sometimes to have a map or a, or a way for us to look into the future and know when certain events are going to happen in our life. There's some things that maybe we're looking forward to and we're yearning for and we're, we're waiting for that day. We're anticipating that day and it'd be great for us to know when it's going to happen. But you know, their time may be a mystery to us, but we can rest assured that God is going to accomplish them in his time. Time is mysterious. Here's another truth, another principle, and that is that time is uncertain. Time is uncertain. James chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, it says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, you may uh, have woken up this morning with a plan of things that you want to accomplish. You may have plans already laid out for the rest of your week and what you're going to do and where you're going to go. You may have a five-year plan uh, laid out of what you want to do, but the reality is you don't even know what the next hour has in store. You don't know what tomorrow has in store. You don't know what events might unfold between now and your plan. Some of you don't even know what you're eating for lunch today. We don't know. Time is uncertain. The only thing that's certain about time is that it isn't. That it's not certain. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed your next breath. Most of us know someone or know of someone who passed away unexpectedly and lost their life unexpectedly. And these verses that we just read, they remind us that life and time, it's uncertain. And so some principles about time. But notice secondly, our practice of time. Our practice of time. We've established that one of the principles of time is that it must be used. And so using our time, though, is not what's important, but how you use your time is. How do you use the time that God has given you? When it comes to our practice of time, the Bible gives us some very clear principles concerning how we're to use it, how we're to handle the time that God has given to us. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. He's saying there's a way that you can live wisely. And it's, and it's associated with redeeming the time. We already read this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read it again, verse 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I like what Jonathan Edwards, the great awakening preacher, wrote down when he was 20 years old. He was reading this passage and he wrote down a, a few resolutions concerning this idea of redeeming the, t the time. He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolved never to do anything which I shall be afraid to do if I expected it would not be an, above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would have lived if they were to live their lives over again. He said, resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I lived to an old age. Resolved never to give over 
nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. You know what he was doing? He was resolving to redeem the time. And Paul says here in these passages that, there's a, that what it is that differentiates one who lives wisely versus one who lives foolishly is how they spend their time. You want to live a wise life? Redeem your time wisely. You want to live a foolish life? Redeem your time foolishly. You know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but prior to the 1300s, the way that man measured time was in hours. And we used instruments like a sundial. We would know about what hour of the day it was. But somewhere in the 1300s, you had monks who were mathematicians that were able to do the calculations that now allow us to break down an hour into minutes and minutes into seconds. And they did this mathematical work in order to enable them to more precisely worship God to allow them to more precisely follow through in their religious duties. And although our theology would differ uh, in a lot of different areas from these medieval monks, they had a proper understanding of our responsibility when it comes to time. That every moment matters. Every minute counts. Every moment, every opportunity, we're to be redeeming in a way that's profitable. You know, time is valuable. Even the world we live in, they recognize that. You hear it said often that time is what? It's money, right? Time is money. We recognize that time is valuable. It's a precious commodity. And so to redeem the time, it means that we're to use the time you have now to its fullest. I like what one commentator wrote. He said, the idea of redeeming the time is to be habitually, continually buying up all that is anywhere to be bought and not allowing a moment to pass by unheeded or unused, but to make it one's own. Meaning that we're using every moment that passes by you know Jesus said it this way in John chapter 9 and verse 4 he recognized his time was limited that it needed to be redeemed he said I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day he said the night cometh when no man can work and that's true of his life and it's true of your life that your time is limited you only have so long to witness to those around you you only have so long to minister to others in need You only have so long to spend time with those that you love. You only have so much time to invest in and to train your children. You only have so much time to obey God's calling on your life. And if you and I are going to redeem our time as wise men, as wise women, he's saying we better do it now. Redeem the time. Because there may not be an opportunity to redeem our time tomorrow. He says in verse number 12 of this passage here in Psalm 90, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. A wise person numbers his day, realizes that they're short. I've got to redeem the time that I have right now. Benjamin Franklin said, Dost thou love time? Then do not squander time. That is the stuff life is made of. Don't waste your time. Don't squander your time. Redeem it. Time is irretrievable. You can spend it. You can invest it. You can waste it. But once you've used it, you can't get it back. And so we see some principles of time. We see the practice of time. But then thirdly, I wrote down the purpose of time. The purpose of time. I think Amos chapter 4 and verse 12 gives us uh, a good challenge and some insight into how we're to use our time. He says, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, he says this, he says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. We've been studying in Sunday school uh, the book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And in that book, he states that we were created for eternity, not for time. We were created for eternity, not for time. And he goes on to say this. He says, God did not create you for time. He created you for eternity. 
Your lifetime on earth provides the opportunity for you to become acquainted with him and to choose to enter a relationship with him. This is a period during which God wants to develop your character into his likeness. Then, he says, eternity will have its fullest dimensions for you. He says, if you merely live for time, you'll miss the ultimate purpose of creation. If you live for time, you'll allow your past to control you and limit your life today. Your life as a child of God ought to be shaped by the future eternity. God uses your present, he says, to mold and to shape your future here on earth and throughout eternity. What's he saying? He's saying that the time that you and I have here on this earth, it's time for us to prepare for eternity. This time that you and I have to live, each moment is designed as an opportunity for us to prepare to meet our maker. We've already established time is limited and that it's uncertain. That means that the time that you and I have here on earth should be, met, uh, should be spent making sure that we're ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And that begins with the issue of our salvation. Let me ask you, it's a question we ask a lot of people. If you were to die today, are you 100% certain that all of your sins are forgiven, and that you right now have eternal life. You know, how you answer that question says a lot about how prepared you are for eternity. If you say, I think so, you're not ready. If you say, I'm pretty sure, you're not ready. If you say, I hope so, you're not ready. It's been said often that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And the Bible says that there's a way that you can know for certain that all of your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. John, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, every one of us, we have a problem. It's called sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Lying, stealing, murder, hatred, adultery, lust, deceit, you name it. The list goes on and on. We all have fallen short. We've all been guilty of breaking God's law. Romans chapter 3 uh, and verse 10 elaborates on this more. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, the Bible makes it clear that not only do we have a problem, it's called sin, but there's a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. We have a problem, it's called sin, and because of that, we need a Savior. And Jesus made it very clear that there was only one way of salvation. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, salvation, it's only possible by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross for you 2,000 years ago. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You don't get saved by being a better person. You don't get saved by turning over a new leaf. You don't get saved by trying to change your ways. You get saved by repenting of your sin and placing your faith, trust, and dependence in the finished work of Christ. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God commendeth his love. He demonstrated, he proved, he showed his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, it says, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in him. There's a story told describing Satan in a meeting that he had with his demons. And Lucifer was looking for a way to keep people from trusting Christ as their Savior. And one of his demons boasted, when I get down there, I'll tell everyone that there's no such place as heaven. The devil responded, oh, they'll never believe that. The Bible's full of messages about how sins can be forgiven and how one can spend their eternity in heaven. And from the other side of the room, another demon shouted, I have a plan. I'll tell them that there's no hell. No good, Satan said. Jesus here on earth spoke more about hell than he did heaven. They'll never believe you. And then a clever demon from the back stood and said, I know the answer. I'll tell them there's no hurry. And that's Satan's strategy, is to make you think that you have time to convince you that there's plenty of time to deal with eternal matters. He wants you to put it off in thinking that you have time. He wants you to think uh, that you don't have to do that today. You don't have to get saved today. You don't have to make a decision today. But that's not true. And that's why God's message is always in the present tense. God never says get saved soon. He doesn't say get things right tomorrow. God says do it today. Psalm 97 and verse 7 and 8. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, he says, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, as wool. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, For he hath said, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. He says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you understand that if you were to take your last breath today and depart from this world having never settled your eternity, you'd spend an eternity in hell. You'd spend an eternity separated from God. But you know the Bible gives us a wonderful promise in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, time is limited. Time is uncertain. Eternity is too long to be wrong. You don't have to leave here this morning uncertain about where you'll spend your eternity. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for certain that your sins are forgiven, how you can know for certain that you have a home in heaven, that if you were to die today, you'll spend an eternity in heaven. Listen, don't put it off. Get it settled today. Don't wait. Not only do we need to be prepared by way of salvation, but we should be prepared as believers through this process of sanctification. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Blackaby was saying that this time here on earth, it's used to change us and to make us into the likeness and the image of Christ. You know, the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be a day when we stand before the Lord. As believers, there's going to be an accounting of our life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us uh, may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And following that event, we'll spend our eternity serving and worshiping with the Lord. And I think sometimes our tiny brains struggle comprehending this matter of eternity. It's hard for us to, to process how long that actually is. And I think sometimes we, we get frustrated trying to think about it, and so we, we tend not to think about it, and we fail to realize how short our life on earth actually is. You know, sometimes it seems that it's not until later in life that folks begin to grasp the shortness and the brevity of their life. It's not until later on that they start living like they actually believed that their time is limited. You know, we tend to operate as if tomorrow is a guarantee. We operate like, yeah, I've got time. I, 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 can, I can keep doing things the way I'm doing it. We spend all of our time planning and dreaming for a future that, frankly, isn't guaranteed. 
We spend the first 65 years of our life learning and working hard and saving and investing in hopes that we'll be able to travel and live comfortably that last little bit of our life if we make it. And and I'm all for planning. I'm all for saving. I'm all for enjoying your life and the blessings that God gives you. I'm just saying, could it be that we get so focused on the material and the temporal things that we forget that there's an eternity beyond this life? Could it be that if we're not intentional, that we'll spend our whole life working and saving and planning and investing for what amounts for a blip in light of eternity? Let me ask you, what good is it going to do when you stand before the Lord and all you've lived for is today? What good is it going to do when you stand before the Lord and all you have to show for how you lived was what's in this life? I like what Blackaby said. He says, wouldn't it be a tragedy to get to the top of the ladder of life and realize you placed it against the wrong wall. What a waste of a life. I heard someone say years ago that there are only two things that are eternal on this earth, the word of God and the souls of men. How much are you investing in those? You want to spend time wisely? Invest in eternity. Invest in eternal things. When it comes to how we use our time as believer, uh, believers, Jesus is our perfect example. You think about the life that he lived. Did it ever occur to you that Jesus had just as much time as you have. He had just as many hours in the day as you have. He had just as many minutes and seconds as you had. But I don't know about you, I read his life and it seems like he got a whole lot more done in his three and a half years of ministry than I feel like I've gotten done in my whole life. I mean, he got so much done that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And yet you read his life and, and though he did things and, and, and there was definitely an order and a quickness at times to them, you don't read it and, and come away with the idea that Jesus was rushing and hurried everywhere he went. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't frantic. He wasn't stressed. But yet how often do we feel hurried and pressed and stressed to do the next thing? I mean, we hurry in the morning to get ready. We hurry on the road. We hurry at work. We hurry at meetings. We hurry to get dinner ready. We hurry to eat. We hurry to put the kids to sleep. We hurry to clean up. We hurry to get out the door. We hurry to get to bed. Uh, we hurry to have more time to do things on the weekend and in the evening than we realistically have time for. Then we hurry to bed. We get too little sleep. And then we make, wake up the next day and we start hurrying again. That's the life of most people. But when we read the Bible, we don't get that impression. We get the impression that Jesus... Uh, was, was methodical, that Jesus uh, was intentional about the things that we did. I mean, just think about the time in which Jesus came. He didn't come when he could have taken a plane and a train and a car and gotten anywhere quickly. He didn't come when we have devices that we can send messages out to billions of people instantaneously. He came at a time where he walked most places. And he still accomplished all that he did. He came at a time where he walked just about everywhere he went, yet here we are still talking about his works and the things that he accomplished. How is that possible? It's because he was intentional about the works that he did. He did only that which the Father wanted him to do. And we've become a society that places and prioritizes uh, productivity over our relationships. We We prioritize materialism over simplicity. We prioritize hurry over intentionality. And, you know, we can choose to run through life chasing after things that are fleeting, chasing after fleshly desires, or we can choose instead to allow the Lord to direct our paths and to accomplish the things that He has for us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 says, Let us, there, there, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so how do we redeem our time in a way that's profitable? I wrote down a couple things. Number one, we can pray. 
pray. You want to redeem your time? You want to use your time wisely? You want to get the most out of your life? Pray. Why is that so important? Because spending time in prayer each day, that's seeking the will of the Father. That's finding out what does he want me to do. Jesus' effectiveness was a result of his actions being in alignment with the Father's will. And so how do we know the, how do we know the Father's will? Well, there's no better way than to, than to pray. Seek his will. Get alone with God. Seek his face. Listen to his voice. Yield your way to his. And not only that, but prioritize. You know, there are a lot of things that we add to our life unnecessarily. There are a lot of things that we do that, that, that really are pointless. You might think, man, I've got, I got more to do than I got time to get things done. But can I assure you that God has made available the ability and the time to accomplish everything that he has for you. The reason we don't is because we're filling our lives with things that doesn't matter. The reason we find ourselves stressed and hurrying is because we're trying to accomplish the wrong things. You know, wouldn't it be great if every decision was just, is this good or bad? <laughs> right? That'd make life way simpler. Uh, but that's not the case, right? We have to choose a lot of times between good things and better things. And in order to do that, we've got to establish and prioritize what are the tasks that God has given to me? What are the things I need to accomplish that are God's will? And so one of the ways we can do that is start by prioritizing our tasks according to our God-given roles. What are the roles that God has given to you? Well, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you're God's child. So start there. There are, there are certain uh, responsibilities that, that come along with being a child of God. There are certain things that ought to be present in our life. And so schedule around that before you schedule anything else. Amen. We were reminded this morning... <coughs> from Matthew chapter 6 in the men's uh, challenge there. Matthew 6 verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hey, if you're married, there are certain biblical responsibilities that accompany your marriage. Hey, add those next. If you have children, you have certain biblical responsibilities as it relates to your children and raising them. And you get the idea. We, we prioritize what are the God-given roles that God has given to me. Those are the things I need to be focusing on. Those are the things I need to be prioritizing. And so identifying our roles, it allows us, listen, to filter our daily assignments through the lens of our divine assignments. We filter our daily assignments through the lens of our divine assignments. Your God-given roles should be at the core of determining what things you choose to do and not to do. Don't allow pressures and societal expectations uh, and fleshly ambitions to drive you. Allow God to lead you. Allow God to direct you. I can promise you that's going to be the best way to redeem your time. And it's going to seem a whole lot more fulfilling than rushing around and hurrying to do everything that you have to do. Amen. So pray. <clears throat> Prioritize. <clears throat> Here's a third thing. And I'm guilty of this one. It says be prompt. Be prompt. <clears throat> you know, when God leads you to do something, be prompt in doing it. When God leads you to do something, do it right away. Don't procrastinate. James chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. You know, doing the things that we're supposed to do can be hard sometimes. How many figure that out? It can be challenging to do the things that I know I'm supposed to do. Uh, I maybe don't always want to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Now, maybe you're more spiritual than I am and you don't have that problem. But I'll tell you what, when I come home after working all day and I know that I need to cut the grass, it's a whole lot harder to find the will to want to cut the grass instead of wanting to take a nap, right? You know, I think about what can I be doing, cutting the grass or taking a nap. Taking a nap seems like a much better option to me at that time. 
And I'll look at it, and I'll tell you, here's what I do, is I look at it, I'm like, okay, it's this time, uh, Google, what time does the sun set tonight? Okay, it's gonna, that's when the sun goes down. I can't work past that. I've got this much time. It's probably going to take me to do it. And, I've, and by the end of it, I've justified in my brain how I can take a nap and cut the grass at the same time. Uh, but I don't always get it done at the same time. Um, but, you know, in those moments, what I'm not lacking is an understanding of what I'm supposed to do. I'm not lacking a knowledge of what I'm supposed to be accomplishing. I'm lacking the willpower to get it done. I'm lacking the desire to do it. And somebody said this, I thought it was good. It says, when you have a job to do, begin this very hour. You supply the will, and God supplies the power. You know, a lot of times when we just determine that we're going to do what we're supposed to do, we'll find that God will enable us. God will give us the strength. God will give us the ability to do that. And so don't live your life foolishly. Don't live your life chasing after and living for things that don't have any eternal significance. Don't live your life seeking to bring promotion and honor and glory to yourself. Instead, live wisely. Redeem the time. Use the opportunities that God has afforded you to enter into and develop those close relationships with him, uh, that the one that you're going to spend an eternity with. Use your life as a platform to glorify the one who's redeemed you. C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, the minutes that God gives us each day have eternity wrapped up in them. How are you using them? Like this poem, it said, I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me just how I use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. I want to just close with one last thought, and that's this question of reflection. It's, if you had only 10 years left to live, or maybe even only one year left to live, would it change the way you lived your life? Amen. You know, the truth is, we should be living each day as if it's our last. Can I remind you again of James chapter 4 and verse 14? Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.